Man, I love this time of year so much. You ever seen that Venn diagram about Christmas time? Where it's like uh, magic, wonder, beauty, joy is one circle. And then like anxiety, like like depression, family, whatever, (laughs) is like in another one. And instead of there being like a little overlap, you know, in the middle, like that sweet spot, like a normal Venn diagram, it just puts them both completely together and on top of one another, (laughs) right? Doesn't this time of year kind of feel like all of that and all of that? Maybe not. If you would, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? If you're brand new to the things of church, Maybe for you, standing for the reading of the word holds zero reverence. Maybe you have a lot of questions, cynicism, uh, doubts, uncertainty about the scripture. Uh, Welcome to the club. Uh, A lot of people have wrestled with this text for many years. And we like to remind ourselves, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about the authority of this thing. Why is this like the number one selling book to this day? Why has it affected the change that it has? Um, why has it moved the, the hearts of people in such powerful ways? Uh, e- even to the abuses that have been done in its name almost speak to its potency, to what this is. But one reminder for us that's helpful, maybe for you and you're brand new to the things of, of Jesus or the ways of Jesus. If you were to uh, think about the Bible like this, uh, most folks in this room, I'm sure, most folks just statistically across the country uh, believe that uh, in some sort of sense of spirituality, God, this otherness, love, we know we're sort of more than the sum of our parts. We get this sense of longing for meaning. So what if there was a book that had sort of stood the test of time, a collection of poems and songs and accounts, people doubting and wrestling and being overjoyed and overcome and celebrating this, trying to make sense of the divine, make sense of their spirituality, make sense of God. And what if we could gather together and and begin to unpack that and make sense of that so as to understand what it means to be human and what might be more than. And so that of a number of reasons that I could spend time talking about why we do this every week we come together and we open up the scriptures. And so for those of us who are here who are followers of Jesus, we, we believe some pretty serious things about this. We place our lives underneath its leadership over our over uh, who we're becoming. And so that's why at the end of reading the text today, we say, thanks be to God. Thank you for revealing yourself in the person of Jesus. Thank you for your spirit and the way that it comes and ministers to us. And thanks that we can check our own faulty minds and imagination and distracted selves against something as solid as the word of God. Amen? And you, my child will be called, this is Luke 1, verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Where my coffee went? Where my coffee go? Over here. Man, I would be in someone's debt if someone got me a cup of coffee. 
Um, we had a great time last night at the Future Builders Gala. Uh, it was this great opportunity for us to gather some folks who, uh, I'm sure there are many more that weren't in that room, but to come together and to, to, to raise some funds to, to begin to really uh, put our, literally our money where our mouth is about funding new ministry initiatives, starting new simple versions of the church we are now calling outposts. And just such an incredible night. Uh, on Saturday, there was a number of folks uh, who a lot of you who got together and met up at um, the local DCYF office and thank you, Sarah, and and um, we talk about the, the uh, we care about the environment at Sanctuary Church. I swear. I don't know about these cups. Um, Sarah, take it back. Uh, we we. Um, on Saturday, a number of folks uh, got together and took the money that had been, uh, the, the books that had been purchased and the money that has been given and will be continued to be given over the course of December uh, to put together these bags uh, that uh, we wanted to make sure that in partnership with Bags of Hope, every single kid in Rhode Island, every kid in Providence uh, was getting Christmas gifts this year that's in the foster care system. Uh, just an unbelievable thing. And so we'll show you some pictures and videos come next week. But it was such a beautiful moment. I remember uh, just the, the, the reminder that as you're dropping these gifts off with all of these social workers, that the amount of kids out there who are going to have something with their name on it, with toys that have been like curated for them, for them to be seen in a world where I'm sure so many feel very unseen, was just an incredible, incredible thing. So that was just a blast on Friday, it was Friday morning, I believe that happened. Um, and, uh, and so I wanted to take, use that as a moment just to highlight we're doing this Advent offering. We've done this for the last couple of years, and this has been a key component for us to practice generosity above and beyond our normal giving. We usually have a, we always have a, some local edge through Love, our Love Providence initiative, which this year is, again, pressing into the foster care crisis and the different ways that we want to do that. You should have gotten an insert when you came in. Uh, did everyone get that as you came through the door today? Yeah, so there's explanations more on that and kind of some of the other initiatives that are happening, uh, doing some global work in the Congo, continuing on with the medical clinic uh, work there and so on and so forth. But today we just wanted to highlight that, like those bags that went into the hands uh, of those kids and the amount of work that has come along around this wraparound outpost that we started to care for uh, the foster families and support them. Uh, some of the Christmas initiatives that are coming up that are on that sheet as well. Um, we want to make sure that we uh, raise money going into this new year knowing God has continued to call us to do that. So uh, if you're interested in giving to the Advent offering, again, this is sort of above and beyond. Our goal this year is $75,000. Uh, and we have already had some folks just step up in some really beautiful ways to say, yes, we, we want to make sure that we are marked as a generous church. So uh, the information for giving, all this should be up on the screen behind me. I have an offering. I have an offering. I have an offering. There it is. There it is. Uh, so if you go to adventoffering.org, all the information is up. There's a few things I think that aren't updated, but all the giving information is updated. You can text that, the same number we normally text, but text Advent Offering. There are also envelopes right there. But I just encourage you, I know a lot of people do, do big year-end gifts, uh, maybe through your business. A lot of folks have like, kind of been able to leverage that. We want to invite you as a church to, um, 
uh, to be able uh, for us to do this ministry above and beyond going into this new year. Next week, we'll be highlighting these ministry. The week after, we'll be highlighting the Congo. And so we'll do this all the way through uh, January to continue to just kind of shed light on some of these new initiatives and, and ongoing initiatives that we're doing. So that's Advent offering. Let's take a moment and be still together. Become aware just of our breathing. The inhale, the exhale. The distractions, the noise, the buzz, the chirp of a little kid, the creak of a pew, all that begins to sort of fade to the background. We're just left with our breath. It's this phrase in recovery, wherever you go, there you are. You're here right now, this morning, on this date, with all the beauty and all of the brokenness that exists in your life and around you and in the world. And we're just here together. And so we hear the words of God through the psalmist. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that he is. Be still and know. Be still. greeted the God of love and greeted with the God who is holy righteous the God who sits on the throne the God who gives us a hope that all things are being put back together in Jesus name everybody said amen Let me pull the room real quick. How many of that, that exercise is so painful for you? Be honest. Like, that's, like, really hard. Nobody? A couple. Huh? Yeah, how many of you that is just so life-giving to stop? How many of you are, are not here right now? <laughs> how many of you hate participating in hand-raising? <laughs> Got it. You ever, uh, you ever needed to be prepared for something really good? Like if you weren't prepared for it, you'd miss it. I want to have an ex like like I can think of an example. Like you needed to be prepped for something. If not, you you would you would have you would have missed the good thing. You might not have seen it. Go ahead, shout it out. Anyone have anything you could think of? A meteor shower. You stole my example for later, Jocelyn. 
rainbow. Needed to, somebody needed to tell you to look up. Yeah. Yeah, you needed to know the surf was there. You were going to miss it. Anyone, I know there's a bunch of surfers in our community. It's like if you didn't get the alert, you didn't go online, you didn't check, you didn't drive by the water in the morning. If someone didn't give you a heads up, you would have missed the greatest surf. Yeah. Go outside for the snowfall. I love it. So I, I, I kept thinking about... about um, I kept thinking about movies, how I don't keep up with movies. And then I didn't realize, uh, I, I just remember this moment with Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. Anyone a fan? Anybody? Yeah, a couple. Yeah, I didn't realize for some reason I had missed that the third one was about to come out. The one with Bane. Not quite as good as the second one, but solid work. This isn't a great example. I just realized it was one of those moments where the movie had been in theaters and somehow I had missed it and missed it and missed it. And then, and then I, I completely missed the opportunity to see it in theaters. And I just thought, man, like what a bummer. Like if, I wish someone would have told me the movie. I wish I would have been more dialed in. Anyone have gotten off Facebook and have found this to be true? I've had more friends get off of Facebook and then all of a sudden be like, I actually just don't know what's going on though anymore. By the way, I know there are a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of folks in de like, like app development. If someone could design an app that would be usable enough that everyone would be on, that would just be calendars and events and friends invites and didn't have all the other stuff, I think you would make a fortune. Truly. Because I don't know how else to like find out what's going on anymore. You missed something. You missed something. Someone mentioned the meteor shower. Uh, and just thinking of, uh, Rena, you mentioned the eclipse. Um, Greg, and you know, guys know Sarah, who came up here, our executive pastor. Her husband, Greg, um, is our very own uh, sort of John the Baptist, who is the character who's talked about in that text that was just read. And I mean this only specifically around like astronomical events, astronomical event, things in the sky. So I want to just show you a picture real quick. That, that, that's Greg. You're not supposed to really look up at the sun, but that's Greg in his NASA shirt. And next slide. This is Greg and Sarah with boxes on their head, obviously. And so my understanding is, well, Greg read everything there is to know about an eclipse that happened. How many years ago was this, Sarah? Five years ago? Last year? I can't hear you. Sorry. That's right. Last year. And so my understanding, right, is Greg made like a whole playlist, you know, like a lot of David Bowie songs, you know, Space Oddity. They got the whole family ready. And the only way you can look at Eclipse is like, I don't even get it through some angle with the box and the thing. And, and the point is, is that even though maybe it would have like blacked out a little bit and maybe a meter shower is an even better example. If you don't have somebody like a Greg, you can go to the next slide too. This is just Greg's son. Just because that just seems to wrap up the whole experience. A colander on your head. Get ready, kids. <laughs> Go over to the Johnson's house. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> if you don't have Greg, if you don't have somebody who's telling you to look up, 
If you don't know that the meteor shower is coming, you're going to miss something beautiful and good. If you don't know how to properly look at the eclipse, you're going to go blind or you're going to miss sort of the gravitas of what's actually happening. This passage that we read that we're going to go through kind of just slowly together is a, is a second song that we're hitting on this Advent. There are four songs, poems, moments where the writers in the scripture who are setting the stage for the person of Jesus just break out into song. And so the second one is Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. We talked a little bit about Elizabeth and her interaction with Mary last week in Mary's song. And all that you need to know if you're brand new to the scriptures, is John the Baptist is quite an interesting character. But his main deal is that he is preparing the way for Jesus. As a kid, I always struggled with this because I didn't understand why Jesus needed an opening band. Like, what was it about needing to get, like, like prime, get, get ready for what's about to happen? And Zechariah, as the father of, of John the Baptist... And just a few highlights from John the Baptist before we get into Zechariah's song. So, so Zechariah is singing the song because he's so excited that his wife Elizabeth, who is of way past child-rearing, bearing age, is going to have this child. And he's overcome that he knows now that the one who's going to make everything right, Jesus, the one where there is this ache, this whole people is feeling this ache of, God, you said you'd make things new and you would send the Messiah, our King, to us and to show us fully what you are like and to lead us into a new age. He understands it's coming and he gets to play a part of it because this child, his child, John, is going to prepare these people for this event. But it's helpful to know what he's preparing people for. He's preparing people for this guy, John. A couple hits from John the Baptist's life. Later on in the book of Luke, John, as an older gentleman, he's in the, in the wilderness uh, and there's these crowds coming out of the main village to see him out in the wilderness. And this would have been sort of a, a normal-ish thing insofar as these prophets who are like, hey, you need, you need to repent. You need to get right. Prophets are always the one. We still have many prophets today. They're calling out the brokenness in our world. They're calling out the wreckage that they see around us. They're seeing, right, there are prophets that exist, uh, cultural prophets within like the Me Too movement or who are calling out privilege, who are calling out the, the, the wreckage that we see around us. They're usually not super popular. They often tend to have this edge to them because what they're saying is not exactly like what everybody wants to hear. And John is out in the wilderness and he drops things like this, a couple of hits. You brood of vipers, He's talking to the religious elite. He'd be talking to pastors like me. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? It's awesome. The axe is already at the foot of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Pleasant, dude. We get all these descriptions of what John the Baptist was like. He was like a raggedy fella. These lines, if these don't mean anything to you, what he's talking about is, I'm trying to prepare people for the kingdom of God to come, for the way of heaven to enter in, for the Messiah to be here. And the very religious elite were not dialed in and not being faithful to the things of God. And so as he's trying to prepare people, he sees the very people 
who don't get it, who are a part of the problem, they hear that we need to get, we need to get ourselves right. We need to look up. We need to be prepared for what's about to happen. And it's funny, I don't know exactly all the depth of what's going on, obviously, in John's mind here. But John's like, who warned you? You're part of the problem. Who warned you to actually get prepared? But then he still goes ahead and like, all right, but you're here. And so when they ask, well, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to be prepared for Jesus coming into the world? They don't know it's Jesus yet. What do we have to do to be prepared for this new thing that God's going to do? And then he drops this line. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. There's a whole sermon there. But you can already infer, and if we had time to go into this, we would see that he's basically saying, you need to be aligned with the things of God. And so we're going we're gonna to take some stabs that you're involved in some extortion. You're not being generous. You're not aligned with the heart of the Father. You are, you are pushing people away. You are not welcoming people into the kingdom. So he goes, if you want to really be prepared, you guys, you religiously, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. If you want to get your heart ready, if you got some food, you, you should do the same. You should, you, you need to get, you need to condition your body and condition your soul and condition your things for what's about to come. For what's about to come. So, to our text. When it was time for Elizabeth, so we're doing a little time travel here. That's where John ends up, and then some, he ends up getting his head cut off, uh, and it's a bit of a mess. Anyone know this story? I realize people who are brand new to the things of Jesus, you're like, what is happening? I'm trying my best. I need you to understand, though, that, that this, this man, John the Baptist, is this seminal figure. Jesus says there's no one like him who is alive his cousin he is preparing people for this thing because apparently people need to be prepared apparently Jesus needs an opening ban apparently people need to go hey look up look up look up look up or you're going to miss the meteor shower you're going to miss the thing that's coming into the world so what's John's origin story this is this man John the Baptist's origin story when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby she gave birth to a son her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they had come to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 he's to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Like, where did John come from? Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishments, he wrote, his name is John. Big backstory there that's going on. Don't have time for that. Stay with me. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill and the country of Judea, people were talking about all this stuff that's going on. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. The point is, is there is something. Everyone's like, what's going on with Elizabeth? Like, she shouldn't even be pregnant. What's happening? There's this name thing and the tablet. And there's all of this lore happening in stories. And I just imagine like the gossip train through the region is like, something's going on, something's going on. Who is this son supposed to be? Is this like a prophet? Is he going to lead the revolution? Like, what's going on? I remember just 300 years before, there had been a big uprising these Jewish people are under the boot of the Roman Empire. They are oppressed and beat down. And so any word 
of like there's something special happening. God's doing something new. We're all ears. We're paying attention. We're all ears. We are paying attention. His father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, then prophesied. He just told the truth about what was coming. He knew what this was, and he begins to sing. He begins to speak in poetry, and he goes, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. So we're going to get some clarity, apparently, because he has come to his people to redeem them. If you're taking notes, would you underline, boldface the word, redeem? He has raised up a horn. A horn symbolizes a strong king. Raised up a strong king of salvation for us. Right, the word salvation. Salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. To show mercy. Write the word mercy down to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us, right, rescue us down from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve, or one translation says, worship him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So God's doing something. He's telling them that he's doing something. And then in 76, and you, my child, will be called prophet of the most high. Looking at little John the Baptist, you will go on before the Lord, before this king, before this this main event and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation. There's that word salvation again through the forgiveness of their sins. Write the word forgiveness down. To present the offer of salvation to his people which is the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, there's mercy again, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The song ends. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel which is when he starts calling people brood of vipers. He starts telling people to sell their stuff. And he starts saying, repent and be baptized because you best get ready. What does Zechariah know about God, first of all? If we were gonna break this song up into two bits, the first part he's talking about, I mean, the whole thing is about God, but he pivots to his, like, specifically to his son and what he's gonna do. What does Zechariah know about God? Why is he focusing on all of these words that we just wrote down? Just a quick recap. Redeemed, salvation, mercy, rescue, forgiveness, tender mercy, still mercy. A definition of mercy for you so that we are not confused. Punishment withheld that is deserved. Happy Advent. This is a tough text because this time of year, what I love to do in these sermons is kind of like, let's just kind of round up and give a big hug. We all need a big hug. It's been a long year. God loves you. So I tried to do that my best I could last week. But looking at this text, which was before us, I kept looking at these words. Like if you need salvation, you need salvation from something. If you need mercy, you must need mercy from something. If you need rescue, we must need rescue from something. 
And I have been confronted this week through this text and sadly then through my own life because I always want to be a vulnerable pastor with you all. And those who know me know that I'm probably too vulnerable. As God has used this to just call out some ugly sin in my heart. And it's this word that we have become, even sometimes in the church, allergic to. I didn't grow up in some fire and brimstone church. I don't, I'm so sorry if you did. Some church where all you were told is you better, be, you, better, you better be right, you better be good, you better be good, you better be good, you're gonna go to hell, you're gonna go to hell, you're gonna go to hell. Some of you may have that as like a caricature of Christianity. It's so far from the reality of what Jesus speaks of. At the same time, there was a reason we need rescue, saving, and mercy because there's something we deserve that we're not gonna get. We like to think that the world began, at least I find in our cultural moment, we like to think that when we were born, the world began. We like to think that actually the sins of mom and dad aren't like somehow on my back. I think we like to think that we're sort of disconnected. Well, I didn't do that. Well, I'm not a racist. Well, I'm not a fill in the blank. We want our autonomy and our freedom and I'm only hold accountable for what I think that I've done, not what we participate in, not the larger story that is broken around us. And I think what this so often does to us is that when we do then talk about sin, we talk about oppression and we talk about sin out there and we talk about the brokenness over there and that political party and that candidate and that thing. And that's really good that we talk about that stuff but that is directly linked to the brokenness in our own hearts. When we say things like, remind ourselves of Paul's words, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's just a way, I know you've heard me say this a million times, that's just a way as Christians, we're just trying to be sober-minded and honest. I always love this question, like, does anybody have a past? And you, all at church, if you're new with us, you go, Amen. I sometimes want to ask, like, do all of us have a present? <laughs> In the spirit of do all of us have a past? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did some things. Are you doing some things now? How's your love? How are you loving people? How are you caring for people? How are you laying down your life? How selfish you been lately? <laughs> it's a really fun Christmas sermon. Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah exists in a time and age and in a history where you, you have this sort of ritual that you would do, like a confession-type ritual that involved blood and sacrifice and altar and temples and all of this. And we've talked a lot about like the, this, this kind of history of human thought and this understanding of God kind of gave this system and this temple to these people for them, for them to make sense of what it was to like, okay, this is how I like appease my guilt. If I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And in God's great mercy, he gave us this sort of system to appease us. Zechariah knows, because he's like in the middle of it, that people are hurt and broken. They know that awful things have been done to them and they are doing the awful things. Zechariah is fully aware, and we can tell this, of the grand story. That it's not just he as an individual, but his people have just not been faithful to walk the way of love and life. Zechariah is coming out of a tradition that is self-correcting. 
right? He knows and looks back and reads the prophets of old who have said like, you didn't care for the poor and there's consequences for that. You didn't lift up the marginalized and there's consequences of that. You got greedy and turned your worship services into some sort of consumeristic spectacle that you just come and consume and then call yourself a Christian because you raised your hand one time and invited Jesus into your blood pumping muscle. It's the equivalent of that. It's the equivalent of that. And he's going, I know the, the, the prophets. I know the stories who have gone, we have been a part of not being faithful. And so he's looking at this great moment that's happening. I love the baby just cried perfectly on cue. He's looking down at his baby and he's going, oh my gosh, God, you're gonna redeem us in some ultimate way and this child's gonna prepare the way for that. All of the rescue and the mercy and the salvation and the forgiveness that we are needed, that we even know psychologically we're literally haunted by. The amount of studies that continue to come up that talk about the inner guilt and shame is one of the driving factors of depression and anxiety in this world. Why do we feel that way in a world where we're like all liberated and free and all good? Definitely don't need some like weird ancient appeasement of some inner sin or guilt. And yet, I mean, this is like the number one articles and the number one, why do we struggle with this? Why does this ache continue to come? Why in the depth of our soul do we kind of know that we, we have this propensity to choose death and we need something outside ourselves to rescue us? Zachariah knows this. This is the story of his people and apparently something new is about to break in. And so if I were, if I were like, a, if I were, I don't know, this kind of preacher, I feel like I would like name this sermon, like, uh, like don't miss it. Just don't miss it. This is the story. This is the story of Zachariah's song. This is the story of his son's legacy. This is it. Don't miss it. Don't miss what's coming into the world. Freedom from guilt and shame forever all the time. If you actually were to trust this is true. Trust that you are loved at the depth of your being. And no matter what's happening on social media, how much you failed at work, whatever's going on, know that the slate has been washed clean. But guess what? You can miss it. You cannot say yes. You cannot own it. You cannot be dialed in to your own brokenness and thus experience the freshness and newness of what happens on the cross, love made known, something mysterious happening in the cosmos that says this, this is who you ultimately are as a child of God and in my house you are loved and set free and forgiven and in my house things operate differently. It's good news, it's good news. The light is coming into the world this is what John is spending his time saying. The light is coming into the world. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. I love the idea that you could miss something as epic as light coming into the world. Like, how do you miss? Like, you've got to be, what, to miss that the sun rose today. Uh, no one gave me a heads up that the sun was going to rise. Play with me in this silly example. Like, how, what would need to happen? You would need to be in what sort of room? A windowless room. 
to not know that the sign, I wish someone would have given me a heads up. I would have like walked out of the room. I just figured it was still dark. I love this imagery, like a light is coming into the world. To shine on those living in darkness. Don't miss it. You can put yourself into that windowless room. You cannot choose to own that there are things that you need to allow the light in. The light is not gonna force its way through a wall. It's pushing, it's pushing, it's pushing, but you're gonna lift the shade up and let it in. This is what happens to a lot of us, I think, when we don't want to, like, I did that be still and no moment because we don't honestly sometimes want the light to hit certain areas of our heart, correct? There are corners of our psyche that we're like, I like that that's a blind spot. It's blind, I don't know it's there. I'd rather you not look around in that corner of the room. We just moved into our house. We're basically living in boxes right now. And we've had a few people come over, like babysitters and some folks stop over. And this is like, there's certain rooms that are like, I mean, the whole house is a, is a wreck kind of, it's getting there. But like there's certain, house, there's certain rooms that are like, it's just boxes and like mouse poop left over from the storage unit. Like it's just a mess. <laughs> We're like, don't, you just don't go in there. Right? I think that's like true of like that, the, the, the home of our heart. It's like, I, yeah, God, I'm not letting you in there. I'm not letting you in there. I'm not letting you in there. I don't actually believe maybe you can heal that. You can set that free. And maybe for others of us, we just don't want to be owned that there's, some, there's a disconnect there, that there's a lack of allegiance there. We don't want to own that there's, there's some loss of love there. Anyone struggle with that idea? <laughs> Anyone love when a good friend comes and asks you, you know, how you're really doing? And they know just enough information that they can ask you about those things that are really like broken in your life. Yeah, the answer is no. Nobody really likes that. Like, tell me about that thing. Tell me the thing that you don't even think is a thing, but every single one of your friends thinks is a thing. Anyone got one of those right now? P.S. If every single one of your friends is thinking like this, you might want to pay attention to this. Definitely ignore it and assume they're all crazy and you're right. Pastoral advice. <laughs> Let the light in. What John is doing, what, he's, what we get to re-experience at Advent is a reminder to pay attention and not miss the healing, rescuing, merciful, forgiving power of our Lord and Savior. This Advent, I want to invite us to pay attention, to look up, or to allow the light to hit that corner, to know that the healing and peace and rest that is needed for our aching souls is available to us. And the first step is simply opening the shade. Or maybe the first step is to simply say, yes. Yes, I, I could try to believe that I could be forgiven for that. Or maybe it, it precedes that because you're definitely not at a place where you feel like you need to ask forgiveness for anything. Maybe it's just, yes, there might be some ways that I am in darkness. Yes, there might be a couple ways that I might be in darkness. I might not be who I was created to be. 
And as followers of Jesus, we know this is not a beat down. This is an invitation to joy, an invitation to a greater peace and greater life. John is calling people out of, quote, the shadow of death. The shadow of death. Are you keeping watch? This is my second question for us today as we close. Are we keeping watch? Like, are we seeing where this light is coming into the world? Zechariah and all this overflowing joy in, the, in, the, in the, this, this pronounced song. He's going, God, you're faithful. In some ways, it's the same cry of Mary's song from last week. You, you, you did what you said you were gonna do. You were gonna come in and wipe the slate clean in a way that we've never experienced. Even though we have missed the mark, even though we have jacked it up, even though we have, have set this world ablaze in so many ways, he's going, oh man, you're gonna extend your mercy to us when we probably deserve this outcome. We probably deserve what we have sowed. That's the beauty of grace versus karma, right? Grace interrupts karma. It is a violent interruption of the idea that you get what you deserve. Karma is what goes around, comes around. And God goes, actually, my grace interrupts that flow right then and there. There may be some physical consequences for what's happened. But there is a divine interruption that says, yeah, 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 all that you deserve. No, no, no. Unmerited favor. Grace. Say yes to the gift. You don't have to earn it. You can't work for it. To be a good, faithful Christian begins with going. It's a sin, falling short of who I was created to be and of the glory of God and recognizing the freedom and joy that comes from that moment. Because it feels kind of dark. And yet we realize right away that this is where our saving comes from. This is where our redemption comes from. This is what moves us into who we are called to be. A couple of months ago in a sermon, I was going through all the stats and all these different theories of why there have been so many superhero movies. And the amount of like thought pieces on this are just immense. I could not get through half of them. But it's just in a time where there's so much turmoil and uncertainty around us, <laughs> I could just list off a couple names and a couple events that have happened that would trigger all of our anxiety in different ways wherever you fall on the spectrum. And they're just going, there's that internal ache that we can't escape. Whether you're a little kid reading Wonder Woman comics or you're going and watching like the 45th Marvel movie, wherever they're at right now. <laughs> we need a hero. We need a savior. We recognize that there's something implicit. We thrive under the king's reign. We thrive knowing that there are forces inside us and outside us that we need rescue from. All Zechariah is doing is telling this story, the story of humanity, or the story at least we as followers of Jesus believe to be the story of humanity is that there is there's something broken and we are in need of someone to, what's the last line? Guide our feet into the path of peace.
We need someone to show us the way. We need a mental map of how to get to to the peace and rest in a shameless, guiltless life. Guide our feet into the path of peace. John is saying, don't miss it. Zachariah is saying, hey guys, my little boy John has a message for y'all. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Be alert. Be alert so that you will be able to recognize your Lord. Can I say that again to you? You all with me? We're going to close right now, so just hang with me for one second. Be alert. Be alert so that you will be able to recognize your Lord. In your husband or your wife or your parents or your children or your friends or your teacher, in the papers that you read, in the moments of stillness, be alert. Jesus says, my Father is always working. The Advent refrain, the Lord is coming, always coming. Be alert to his arrival. When you have ears to God at any moment in your life, you will recognize the Spirit of God at any moment in your life. This one writer says, life is Advent. Life is Advent. Life is recognizing the light that has come into the world. Life is recognizing that our faithful God is extending life and love and grace to each one of us. So we're gonna close here. We're gonna close with communion, how we often close. Communion is this moment where we recognize this truth. That the love and life has come into the world. That there is freedom from our sin and guilt. That we can go boldly into the dark corners of the room that we don't want to let anybody into and allow freedom and healing and restoration to happen there. The song that we're about to sing. Stealing your music. There in the stillness, right from the start, you, the ember that lit the dark. There in the silence and mystery, you were the constant that stayed with me. Never a moment that you withdrew. God, you were there when I needed you. And so my soul sings, you're faithful to the end. My heart sings, your love is faithful to the end. In the shadows, I wandered off. You were the shepherd that sought my heart. Where would I hide that I couldn't see? I love this line, ready or not, you would come for me. My soul sings, you're faithful to the end. Sometimes we need to get basic to be reminded of the healing that is at our fingertips and how often 
we can take for granted the light that has come into the world. It's crazy to think that that can happen. And yet we do that. So name the dark corners that you don't want to let God into. Maybe be open for the first time that there is healing and love and restoration that you actually need that is available to you. Maybe it's breaking the spell of whatever apathy and indifference exists in your heart and saying, all right, God, I remember years ago you woke me in a special kind of way. Would you do it again? Would you do it again? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us, broken people, made in your image and yet dearly loved, fallen and yet redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. A love that sets us free and sets us on the path of peace. To my brothers and sisters in the room who are not experiencing an iota of peace, I pray right now your spirit would fall and peace would be felt and known. I pray that in my clumsy words and in the powerful words of this text, God, that you would in your own way, Lord, would you guide their hearts to the path of peace. That as that bread dipped in that cup touches their lip, they would be reminded in a very deep and physical and real palpable way that you so loved the world that you entered into it and you gave us the most holy of heads up. I'm coming into the world, get ready. I continue to come into your world and I'm all around you, get ready, be alert. Be alert. May the bread and wine wake us to your love. May the bread and cup, Lord, wake us to your joy. May the bread and cup wake us to your faithfulness. Church, there is rest for you right now. Not later, not on the ride home, not next week in church. There is rest waiting for us now. There is a peace that goes beyond whatever peace you have. Lord Jesus Christ, will you do what only you can do in this moment? That we may be a people who can extend that peace and love and grace and mercy to the world around us.